Welcome to another episode of Israel Tech. I'm excited to have with me here David Primor, the co-founder and CEO of Sinomi. David, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. All right, so tell us about Sinomi. Everyone is in cybersecurity in particular, obviously. Um, I do a lot of marketing for cybersecurity companies and everyone always wants to target the CISO or the person reporting to them. But you have probably, more than anyone else I spoke to, have a unique approach when it comes to CISOs. What exactly do you do? And tell us a little bit about your relationship with uh, CISOs. Yeah, so uh, we decided to target the small and medium businesses and mid-market. They usually don't have CISO and rely on uh, other companies like MSPs, managed service providers, and MSSPs, managed security service providers. They're trying to help those uh, small and medium businesses by providing them services. One of the services that we see uh, emerge is the virtual CISO enabling those companies to have the very important role of the CISO. And we help those companies, the MSPs, MSSPs, cyber consultancies, to be able to provide these virtual CISO services at scale. Awesome. So how did you get into the whole cyber industry and understanding what CISOs need? So it seems like you have a unique insight into it, but you've never been a CISO yourself, right? So maybe you can tell us, uh, take us back, and what is your story kind of in cybersecurity? Yeah, it's a long story. I've been, uh, I think, more than 30 years in cybersecurity, or maybe it's not called cybersecurity. So uh, I started my career as a, in technology um, in, in the Army of Israel. After uh, doing my academic uh, studying, I'm an electrical engineer by my profession. I was uh, handpicked to be an A200 unit. Well, can you talk us into that? So you went and you studied engineering yeah. in, in high school or in university? It, actually, it's in your university, in the Technion in Haifa, which considered to be the best institute uh, once. And uh, it was uh, part of what we called academic reserves. So uh, I was convinced to go to study electrical engineering, and then I could join uh, different um, places in the army. And uh, of course, by then, nobody knows what A200 is. By and then, so we're talking about 20 years ago? Something like that. Years ago, yeah. yeah. So it's so secret, you can't even say it, how, how many. Years yeah, ago. yeah, and I didn't know uh, about A200. And I heard that it's a good unit, and right. I wanted to be there. And uh, I went to several interviews, and they picked me. So uh, um, since then, I was spending almost 15 years in the unit. So 15 years in the unit? About, yeah. Wow, okay. So but before you entered the Army, you had agreement with the Army that you would go study school first and then go yeah. to the Army. Mm -hmm. Once you finished your school, your schooling, engineering, and then you went to the Army, then they selected you, they asked you to interview for 8200. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of interviews because uh, 8200 picks the the best people uh, from the academic reserves and from uh, from the teenager from school. So you could get to, to 8200 either from after studying or uh, being an excellent technology or have the potential to be a great technology or intelligence person. Actually, my daughter is in A200 as well. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Do you get special <laughs> alumni uh, advantages? 
No, no, I'm, I'm a technology and she's intelligence. So intelligence. together we are a total group of uh, intelligence. Oh, okay, all right. Be, uh, the family to fear. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about what it's like when they asked you to come in and work uh, at 8200, interview at 8200. Like, how does that happen? They just walk over to your desk, do they email you? How do they, do you know anything about that hiring process? And if you can walk us through kind of like what that interviewing is? Um, they look for potential. They look for high grades. And uh, they want you to be, uh, to behave nice, to be social. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess they have more um, um, parameters that they take uh, into account. So mm-hmm. nobody told me what to do, but I was fortunate to be, uh, to be part of this uh, great team of 800. So when people are at 8200, how long do they stay usually? Usually you have to, uh, to sign for an extra two or three years because uh, you are going to have some kind of uh, studying, special studying to be, uh, to be able to, uh, to do your job in 8200. And so usually it's about totally six years that you are in uh, 800. Uh, they convinced me to be a little bit more. <laughs> how did, so how do they convince you? Um, 8200 is a place where everything is possible. There are lots of challenges, lots of opportunities, different uh, technologies, um, different goals. And uh, when you are there, you could pick almost whatever you want. Uh, there is endless opportunities. So uh, when they find potential and they convince you, okay, why don't you do this thing? Uh, so um, I was uh, a, nice, uh, <laughs> a nice boy and I've been convinced. There you go. And so 15 years you're commuting. Where was your base? Where did you, where did you work out of? In the center. In, in the center of Israel. Right. Okay. Got it. And you have to wear a uniform every day, right? Yeah, of course. And what are those hours? Um, it's 15 years. It's a long time. And as you got promoted, did, did, were there more hours? or We work hard. Mm-hmm. Very hard. Um, most of the intelligence for Israel come from this unit. So uh, we have lots of responsibility. Um, so we work hard. Mm-hmm. Now you were... You mentioned to me that you were promoted to lieutenant colonel, right? Yeah. What is, does the lieutenant colonel 8200 do, and how did you become a lieutenant colonel? Okay, it's a long process. You have to, uh, to be good in what you are doing. Uh-huh. Um, you have to be able to, uh, to be a commander. I uh, managed about 150 people, uh, technology people, uh, very clever people, which is harder to, be, to, to manage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes you, uh, you time. First, you, are, uh, you become the commander of three people, then 10 people, then 20. You have to prove yourself. Uh, you, you have to be a, a professional in what you are doing, uh, also in technology, and, uh, and be a, a commander or a manager. So, but what is the, so maybe walk us through, for those that don't know, what does the day-to-day of your work look like? like what did you do every day? Um, I cannot say, since it's a very high classified work, but actually to get a um, challenge, a project, some system you have to develop, some operation that you need to do, and then uh, think how to do that and do it. So, all right, so after, during 8200, 
you were saying that you you were telling me offline that you got your PhD. Yeah. At CERN. So like one of the things I find actually kind of fascinating uniquely about the Israeli military is that they're very supportive of an academic degree, kind of like many in your case. I have a cousin like this too, where she got her degree first and then went into the army. And then even in parallel, the continued learning with academics, not necessarily only through the Israeli Defense Forces. So tell us about like how you get your master's and your PhD while you're at the IDF. Are they supportive? Do they force you? Do they say, hey, we need you to study more. Go get this degree. We'll pay for it at this university. How, how does the academics and, yeah. and the army work together? It's, it's very typical to people or um, soldiers in 800 unit to uh, take care of the development. And uh, they are very curious. So academic and being and serving in this unit is, is very typical. So when I uh, start my, when I finished my oh, um, electrical engineering, I didn't think that I would, I would like okay, to I, learn more. I, uh, so, and uh, I was surprised because uh, I found uh, right. academics and uh, stuff that I don't know and I want to, um, to study more. So I uh, had a decision whether to study management uh, MBA or to go to, uh, uh, to the second degree in electrical engineering. So finally I decided to, uh, to do my master's degree in electrical engineering. Ah. <clears throat> um, study about signal processing and, uh, and more computer vision and things like that, yeah. which I found fascinating. Uh, so I did it in parallel to, uh, to work in, uh, in 800 and they were very supportive. So they sometimes can give you half day or sometimes full day to, to study. But did um, they encourage you to go get a degree or did you have the right to request and they had to I, improve it? Both. Both. That's confusing. What is that? Yeah. yeah. I had the right to uh, ask for that and they, uh, they could approve it or not. Right. But uh, the... I think what is un- very unique in A200 that they... The, 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 the commander, the managers, they want to develop you and want you to be better. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, uh, they ask, do you want to study? Maybe uh, study so they, this they and do, that. They do encourage. They encourage. They encourage. Yeah. Do they can encourage a specific path? Like, did they specifically tell you more engineering or management or, or is it just in general? Usually, usually, you have more room for development. Usually, what you are doing, I think it's it's the same in startup and and same in in, in enterprise or in A two hundred. You are talking with your manager. Right. Think about your development. What is good for you? Right. What you want so to achieve in life. So it's more centered than how you can give better value to A two hundred yeah. or to. It's both. It's both. Well, they they need to go when, together, right? If not, yeah. then there's a if conflict. You, if you're happy with what you are doing, you are able to uh, um, stay and spend more years in A200. That's what happened to me. So right. I, I guess that the fact that I studied the second degree and then I had the crazy idea of doing my PhD and do a three years, three years break in my uh, service going with my family to Switzerland, to Geneva, mm-hmm. um, live in France, actually, cross the border every day to, uh, to CERN, the big uh, particle accelerator uh, research. Uh, for me, it was a, a great experience. 
Uh, I remember my commander saying, okay, good luck. Uh, although he really wanted me to stay in A200, he said, okay, this is what you want, good luck. And then after these three years, they offered me uh, a new job in did A200. Did you reach out to them or did they keep tabs on you? They and like keep, keep uh, they, they had some contact me and every couple of months saying how I'm, I'm doing. And, uh, and then when I uh, uh, very close to finish my, my PhD, they offered me the job. I had to think about whether I want to do some more uh, postdocs in lots of universities at school or in Israel. Um, but my wife wanted to stay in Israel, so it was a good combination of getting a very good job mm-hmm. in A200, uh, continue to contribute to, to my country, uh, do something very interesting, develop, continue developing myself. Um, so it was good. I got my lieutenant colonel by then, and I felt very happy. So uh, I think it was a very good choice. Um, lots of experiences and uh, special things I did uh, along my, my service. And, and maybe the last thing or the last mile uh, that I was very fortunate is to be in the point that the government in Israel decided to establish the cybersecurity authority. And uh, this, is, this was interesting because there is another role of the Israel army of A200 is to help other initiatives in the country, in the state of Israel, to succeed. So they contribute uh, officers from A200 to establish these um, governmental institutes. So this uh, um, cyber directorate, or what was called the Israeli um, Cyber Authority, uh, was actually made by people from the army. Uh, not anymore, now it's uh, uh, people from the government, but by then, to be able to, uh, to have the great team to establish that, they uh, offered me to be the leader of technology. And uh, that's what I did for, the, for my last role in the, in the army, or actually in the government for three and a half years, uh, to be uh, in charge and to uh, establish a, a startup, actually startup in, in the government, uh, from two people to 50 people, uh, R&D projects um, uh, to be uh, to protect the authority itself. So mm-hmm. I became the the CISO or the head of the um, um, protection, cybersecurity protection of the cybersecurity itself. And this was the point that I started to really understand in cybersecurity. Before that, I I had a full understanding of cyber in different aspects, full understanding of technology, but being uh, establishing the entity that protects Israel, protects uh, the, the critical infrastructure of Israel, help the civil sector to be more protected. For me, it was like a completely different world and uh, a very unique opportunity um, to be able to contribute in a completely different way. Was there a certain moment that you recognized that like, oh, okay, now I, now I understand cybersecurity? Was there something that was revealed to you or you learned or something? Or was there a certain moment? Yeah, yeah. But it was not in the cybersecurity uh, authority. It was a little bit after that or in, in parallel. 
Um, I have several friends, uh, CEOs of companies, small, medium companies, and uh, they consider me as the, the cyber advisor or the expert in cybersecurity. And they call me when they have some attack. And I found myself uh, trying to help them and to see how crap is the situation of uh, Israel um, companies, mid-market, small, and uh -huh. even enterprise. Yeah. And then I saw that there are so many attacks, uh, simple attacks, that uh, cause so many damage. If, if you only do this one or X, Y, Z, you could be protected. Right. But nothing is done. There is no knowledge. And even in a very good companies with clever people, they don't know what to do. So I think in that moment, understanding uh, from the cybersecurity authority, the great, uh, greatest methodology of uh, how to protect a company and to see the, the real life in which there is no rules, no knowledge, and the knowledge is, is out there, but nothing going down. I think this is the moment I understood that I have to do something about that. And it's not in the government, not in the military. It's to establish my own company, Synomi, to be able to uh, help those companies, small, medium, uh, mid-size, mid-market, to be able to better protect themselves. So that brings you to Synomi, right? Yeah. Awesome. So which is where I hear, we're here in your offices in Tel Aviv. So how did Sainomi really start? You talked about like first you figured out helping your CEO friends and maybe you can tell us about your co-founder kind of how did the, your network and the people they knew, you can kind of walk us through how you're able to develop that that led you to launching Sainomi. Yeah, so, uh, so you know everything happened by mistake. So uh, or, uh, you try to pick up the opportunities that you see. So um, I have a friend that studied in Oxford University. And he had a friend, or has a friend, uh, called Roy Azulay. And he had uh, a startup by then. Before that, he established the cyber and the software accelerator in Oxford itself. What year is this? It was uh, 2019. Uh, and he was looking for cyber advisor. And uh, I said, okay, I would, I would like to be in the advisory board. It sounds to me so special for someone from the army to be uh, advisory board. So I agreed. And then we started working together. And I saw that the same thing I realized for small and medium businesses, also in his um, company, is the same. The lack of knowledge of cybersecurity compliance and uh, other stuff which are related to cybersecurity. And then I uh, offered him and talked with him about that. And he said, okay, this is, there is something about that. We should maybe do something um, to help those companies. And then the idea of uh, establishing Synomi, a startup that tried to help those companies, uh, came to my mind. Uh, so we uh, developed this idea together. Uh, and uh, around 2020, 
we decided that we want to establish Sainomi. Back then, he, he still was the CEO of his old company, and uh, there was a process till he moved 100% to Sainomi. Um, we started by thinking that we could approach the individual um, companies and to offer them this virtual CISO offer to help them mm -hmm. with a platform, with a software, with a lot of knowledge, a lot of AI to uh, understand what to do. And uh, as you know, um, every uh, journey is uh, exploration. And we didn't know much about the industry. We target the US market or the UK market, and it's completely different than the Israel market. So you have to try to use all your connection to get to the right people. And uh, you know that in Israel we are um, a cyber nation. So I have friends from uh, Checkpoint, uh, from other companies, and uh, uh, I told them, okay, do you have some kind of connection to help me to understand something about this US market? Never been there, not know what the hell is going on there. And uh, they helped. And I found myself full of people from the from X eight to hundred or other places that really want to help me to this journey. It's my journey. They don't know the answers, but they could lead me how to uh, find out what the, uh, the answers are. So try to uh, approach those company directly, find out it's very difficult, then understand there are some creatures called MSPs, managed service providers, didn't know them, it's a completely different name in Israel. In Israel, it's like a um, consultant or other names, but not M MSPs and MSSPs. So try to approach them and first magic appears. Um, they found some interest in the demo or in this uh, first uh, um, product that we... How did you capture them that made them want to be interested in a demo? Um, with connections. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I have a very good friend uh, uh, that is my HR consultant right now. He was a, a head of HR in Checkpoint. Mm -hmm. Ronan Keller is name. And he made some connection for me with the people ex Checkpoint that are leading some MSPs, MSSPs in the in uh, US. So the MSSPs were, were, the, yeah. were the way to help you get into the American market. Several MSPs, MSPs, then going to some events, showing them the platform, seeing there is an interest, improving the product a little bit. And so uh, this process of understanding the market and being patient and doing this exploration I like to explore things uh -huh. uh, in general in life. Uh -huh. So you must have a lot of uh, um, patience and uh, to analyze everything. When you get no, why did I get no? Right. How it could be yes in the next time? Right. I think it's like marketing. In a way, it's a lot of testing. Yeah. Would that work? Let's yeah, try this. Yeah, what did yeah. we learn? This this door won't open. And yeah. uh, and I guess in this journey of uh, building a company. Every day you understand something new and you try to improve yourself. Love it. Um, and uh, to understand what is the role of a product, what is the role of marketing. I, 
I've never did marketing in my life, never did sales. And now as a CEO, I'm in charge of sales and marketing. <laughs> and I criticize my people doing like that. And I don't have this experience, but I learn. Every uh, day I learn. So uh, it's, it's extremely important. So I get a feeling from you. One of the things that you did that was unique, whether it was to connect with your co-founder Roy in the UK, um, or finding MSSPs or working your network is that you ask people for, do you know anyone who's connected to or connected with or can introduce me to? It seems like that's a big component is just asking. Is that correct? Yeah. Asking and the willingness to help in the Israeli uh, community, startup community right. to help. I think in general, people... Uh, the critical component in being a successful startup. Right. And uh, for example, I handpicked all the employees in Sainomi, and we have great team. Uh, as I told you before, um, we have uh, equally men and women in uh, Sainomi management team. So our VP R&D, VP product, VP marketing, they're all women and excellent to give us some really good fight uh-huh. and uh, makes uh, the thinking of Sainomi very special. And I guess this is one of our success uh, reasons. Yeah, well, men and women have a very different approach. They, they both have strengths that together you can really learn and do a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'm seeing that with a lot of other founders I'm speaking to uh, the, that they're saying that. Um, so asking is, and people really want to help. That's just really fascinating. So now that you're CEO of Sainomi and you have, you're more connected with MSPs and MSSPs, mm-hmm. are you now, what are you doing individually to like help other maybe younger people that want to be founders or they already have their founding company that they need those intros? How are you able to now pass that forward to other people in Israeli tech um, or in cyber and specifically to open doors for them? What are you doing now to help others? Yeah, so uh, I'm open for conversations to help them, to consult them. Uh, I help VCs that uh, I'm uh, uh, connected to uh-huh. to understand what are uh, good companies. What's that like? That's interesting to me. You consult VCs to help them understand what? The technology, the individuals? or uh, can, you, can you walk us through a little bit of that? Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, after you are... A success, you succeed to get some investment from your investors. They continue to invest. They continue to look for good companies. Right. And they look at, at the uh, portfolio as the best recommenders from uh, uh, new companies. So I'm trying to do my best to, uh, to see and to uh, evaluate uh, the right companies for them. So, but, but this is helping the, the, the uh, venture capitals to pick the right companies. However, if there is uh, anyone that tried to uh, ask me what to do, where to start, and what uh, are the big questions that I should ask before starting this very challenging journey to, to establish a startup, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Lots of no's, um, sometimes yes. Uh, always saying that you have to have about five balls up in the air to be able to, uh, to catch one. One is enough, but right. you need five, because right. if you have only one, it will fall. Right. So many disappointments, uh, so many uh, smile moments. Right. 
So it's, uh, you have to be ready, you have to ask the right questions, and you, you must be, uh, in, in a way, ready to do this uh, journey. So when I talk with uh, people that are saying, okay, I want to be, uh, to be startup, to be in a startup, to establish a startup. Um, so I ask them, do you know what, exactly what you want to achieve? Do you really want to do it? Do you have this passion right. with your body, right. with your soul? And if yes, go for it. And if you are still hesitating, it's so difficult. So make sure that you are ready. But how does one know they're ready? You don't, right? You're right. You know it in your heart. You know it, right. Yeah, people, people ask me, uh, if I enjoy it, or why, why do I work so hard? So for me, Sainomi is like a baby. It's my baby. You don't, when, you, when you have a baby and you came out at night, you don't ask yourself, okay, um, I'm, I'm not sleeping good enough. Mm. I, I have to do that because I like it. Right. So for me, um, helping Sainomi to grow, learning, finding the right people, uh, participating in these uh, marketing events. It's so important. Important. It gives me some strength. Uh, and I feel enjoyment. And I think this is the thing that should burn in every entrepreneur in his heart to understand that this is a difficult journey. Right. You must uh, take this uh, uh, company, Sainomi, very small, to 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 succeed, to make it bigger and bigger and bigger, to have a lot of strug uh, struggling and uh, and hopefully to succeed. Let's talk about your baby that you're trying yeah. to grow and get it to succeed, right? So how do you determine like who to hire, a little bit of your hiring practices, and then for a bit, and then talk us a little bit about this virtual CISO. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't someone want a CISO in-house, right? As a marketer, there's something called like CMO as a service. It's like outsource C is CMO in its end. And there are pros and cons, of course. I was wondering if those are similar to like the virtual CISO kind of thing, because you're not in-house, but you're not, but you're also serving other companies, which there's an advantage because they're exposed to more. On the other hand, are they distracted? So how does that work exactly? Yeah, so you, you are like um, all journalists ask me two questions. First is how to uh, find the right people. And then something totally and then, not related. And then completely different <laughs> one. Okay, so I'll start with the first one. Um, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult then. Go in journalism. No, you know, we are, we are talking about what happens now in Israel. And uh, right. uh, all the journalists ask Bibi two questions because they have the possibility to ask two questions. Oh, right, because you know oh, that yeah, works. Yeah, so you, yeah. you, okay, got it. <laughs> okay, so, so for the first question, um, how do I pick people? Yeah. I'm trying, because we are still small, right. I try to find people that I know. Right. And the exactly. best people that I know or the best people that, some, that, that are known by someone that I know. Right. They so, say 70% of hires in general is in America mm -hmm. is from someone you know. It's a, they don't even see the job description. Yeah. And I know this too, like the top tech companies here in Israel that are hiring marketers, they ask me, Hey, yeah. do you know anyone for this or do you know that? And you privately pass it around. They don't find anyone in a month. Then they'll open it up a little bit more publicly. Yeah, so it's, it will be no surprise for you that uh, half of the people in Israel, maybe more than half, are either from eight or hundred of the cybersecurity right. authority. So right. people that worked with me, we worked good together. And, uh, and, and, and this is the people in Israel. 
we have also a team in the UK and we have a team in the US. Mm -hmm. And in the US, it's uh, um, someone that I work with, Israeli, that did his uh, previous role in other cybersecurity startup, and then hiring new people that he knows. So it's, it's still people we know. In the UK, the same. We are trying to bring people that we know, but in some point, you cannot do it anymore. So we have to do this all procedures of uh, 10 interviews and exams, etc. Et so this is um, more complicated. Mm -hmm. And for your second question. Yeah, which I totally pivoted. Yeah. Uh, yeah so the VC, so, so the virtual CISOs, like, yeah. did you think it was going to be a good idea? It was from the, from the beginning mm -hmm. when you were like, okay, we're going to be virtual CISOs. Did yeah. You, or did it something else in a transition to that? Did you stumble upon Virtual this? CISO is uh, some kind of misleading words. Yeah, Why? I agree. Why? Because virtual is, some is considered to be something which is virtual, not real. Right. But uh, in, the, um, in the industry, virtual CISO is the same, the same as CISO as a service. So there is someone physical which called himself, I'm your virtual CISO. So I'm giving you CISO services from outside to your like company. Like a virtual assistant. It's the same thing. Yeah. They're part, yeah. yeah. It's a person, but yeah. it's virtual. But, but, when outside, we, but, yeah. but when we create uh, our virtual CISO platform, it's actually both ways. So it's also help the virtual CISOs to be much better because we save them time, we uh, provide them standardization, we help them to, uh, to get the knowledge, we help junior staff to do these clever things like, uh, like uh, very professional CISOs. But actually what we are doing using algorithm, using AI, we are like a, a real virtual, mm. <laughs> real virtual CISO. So it's, uh, it's uh, sometimes uh, confusing, but we feel good about that. Personally, I like to be vague. So right. we are I virtual. couldn't tell. We <laughs> Whenever I ask you about your career at 8200. Yeah, yeah. So we are a virtual CISO platform, help virtual CISO to do it in a virtual way. Got it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> do they understand that so well? <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds hard to answer. No, for yeah. them, it's very, very specific. Right. So, so, so give, me them, the, give, me the, give me a yeah, stereotypical so, yeah, example. Yeah. So uh, we see that there is a very big trend for SMBs and S, uh, for MSPs and MSSPs, cyber consultancies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to provide these CISO as a service um, services. Why more compliance needed for the SMBs and mid market, also from enterprise that don't have this cybersecurity practice, more and more cyber attacks. Okay, more than 50% of uh, those companies are being attacked every year. Uh, cyber insurance, you want to get to, to be insured, you must demonstrate that you are secured. How to demonstrate it? It's, it's not an easy stuff to do. And of course, third party um, risks. So if you want to do business with uh, um, bigger companies, they send you a questionnaire. They want to make sure that you are protected because if you're doing business with them, they want to make sure that they are protected. So there are many vectors that makes uh, this world very complex and the need for cyber consultancy is bigger and bigger. And uh, that's why MSPs, MSSPs, cyber consultancies would like to give you 
I would like to give these companies more services, virtual CISO services. However, it's, it's difficult to do. There are lack of talent. No many CISOs out there, and the CISOs going to big enterprise. So even if I'm an MSP and MSSP, understand there is a demand for virtual CISO services. Maybe if i lucky enough, I could find one CISO, two CISOs, and they could provide maybe uh, services to 10 companies. But I how, have... But how? How can... Uh, how is it possible to give service to, to 10 companies? Oh, because those companies, they don't need a CISO every day. They need partial CISO. So right. one day, two days, maybe half a day, right. a week, I right. mean. So uh, what do the virtual CISOs do then if they're working, let's say, a day a week? Okay, so, so first the, the virtual CISO or the, the CISO, they try to, to understand uh, the current situation of the company, the posture of the company from cybersecurity perspective. What are the gaps of this co company and uh, what they want to achieve? What are the risks? And then how to build a plan? What to do tomorrow, what to do next week, what to do next quarter in order to be better protected, in order to be complied, in order to demonstrate the insurance that I'm secured enough. So it's, um, it's complicated. So after this first assessment, understanding where this company currently stands, then to build this plan and to try to implement it, to enforce, to uh, help the board of directors to understand where the gaps, um, to help them to, uh, to do the awareness training, to help them to understand which tool to use, to see the improvement over time, to understand the next goal. So this is the, um, the role of the CISO. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a collection of processes, uh, people. Uh, you have to convince the board, you have to convince uh, the, the IT to do whatever they, they have to do in order to be better protected. And of course, to, uh, to use different tools. So uh, we in Sainomi, we are trying to uh, bring this knowledge of how to do the assessment, how to create the perfect plan, how to assist you, assist you, I mean, the CISO, the virtual CISO, to do the best thing he could to save time, to create these reports, to create uh, the, uh, the right documents for the board, uh, to, help them, to help the virtual CISO and the companies to pick the right tools, the right processes in order to be better protected. How, do they, I, yeah. how do they know though, like, that they're doing the right thing or what's in their best interest. Not that there's any bad interests, of yeah. course, but every company is different. Mm -hmm. And don't they need someone to help communicate internally to represent the company to the virtual CISO to help them achieve their goals, you know, to know what they don't know? Because sometimes they could make suggestions that may not be in the order of the priority or may not be worth their, their, their budget or yeah. their time or the, whatever the resources that they have. Do, don't they need someone internally to properly manage that? Like who do they work across of mm -hmm. if they don't have anyone security related internally? So you, you're completely right. It's very uh, challenging and complex uh, job to do. You must ask the right questions 
you must uh, understand the business, understand the risks. So if, uh, for example, uh, you are one day in a company, maybe it's enough. If you're half a day in a company, maybe you should have your colleague in the company that helps you answer all the, the, the questions and uh -huh. help you to, to do it. So it's, uh, uh, it's a combination of people, of this virtual CISO outside the company, and maybe the IT or the other people inside the company that works with this virtual CISO. So this engagement or relationship is very important. So do you get much of your business through MSPs and MSSPs, yeah. right? So how does that work exactly? They, they're working with a, a company in SMB is working with an MSSP or an MSP. They're providing them some other services. Mm -hmm. Do they then request, hey, we need someone to help with their security? Or you also alluded to earlier that people don't know what they don't know and they don't know that, that they have security issues, that they even need one. Does the MSSPs push Sinomi on, suggest Sinomi or other solutions on them? How, do, how does that work? How do you grow yeah. and expand through your MSPs and MSSPs? Yeah, yeah. so, so it's, uh, it's important to understand what we in Sinomi, we offer these MSPs and MSSPs. We offer them to be able to provide this service, this virtual CISO service, CISO as a service, CISO as a service, service uh, to the different uh, uh, portfolio or new customers. It could be SMBs, it could be mid-market, right. and it's sometimes huge company that need the help. How we do that? We, in our platform, we have a lot of knowledge. Uh, we have the right way to ask questions, the how to uh, create the policies. We, uh, we talked that about the nature of company. Every company is different from other company. So we uh, understand the profile of the specific company and make a tailor-made strategy for each company helps the virtual CISO to understand what is the strategy of this specific company and what are the prioritizations for helping those companies to be better. So how to create the perfect plan. Imagine that you have 500 tasks that you could do and you have only the ability to do 10 tasks this quarter. Which 10 tasks to pick? This is a very difficult question, and, I, and we see that in lots of companies. Uh, you ask uh, your friend, okay, what should I do? Okay, you should uh, uh, use uh, SASE because it's a trend, or you should do a uh, um, password manager, or awareness training with this tool, or hundreds of things that you could do. But you have a limited time, limited budget. What should I do next? So we are helping these, those CISOs to understand what are the priorities, what is uh, the right thing to do for this specific company, what are the risks. And since we uh, save them a lot of time in understanding, asking questions, having their reports, uh, generating whatever we can with generative AI and uh, algorithms, we save them time. And when we save them time, one virtual CISO could not serve only five customers. You could serve 20 customers. Uh, they, they actually scale back so, their hours as they're with the CISO. Yeah, so the economic of scale. So, uh, and this is um, uh, bringing me back to our vision that every company should have a CISO or a virtual CISO. 
So we help those MSPs, MSSPs to be able to provide this virtual CISO at scale. So all the companies, all SMBs, all mid-market companies, all enterprise that don't have this practice, they could enjoy um, much better cybersecurity because the key from my perspective to a good cybersecurity is to understand what you should do and prioritize. And this is the key thing. And if you know how to do it, the rest is much more easier. Amazing. Write the right decisions and then implement. Uh, the implementation is easier than making the right decision because if you're making a wrong decision, you, you will implement something which is not the highest priority. So what are the first three things, let's say, if you were to come and help an SMB, right? That you would say, okay, these are the first few things you got to get in order. Is there generally speaking, like, like, so if basically if you're an SMB listening or if you're investing in SMBs, like what are the main things that they should get in order? Uh, yeah, so let's not talk about SMBs. Let's talk about companies in general, general. in general that uh, don't have a CISO. Right, because, okay. okay? Uh, so I think, and, and maybe I'm not so popular, that's but fine. I believe in, in, yeah. So first, you must have some of the executive in the company that understand that cybersecurity is important. Ah, okay. Because it. if you that's don't have any support from management, right. you will not have anything. That's what I was saying earlier, that who's going to advocate internally yeah. for, the, uh, for your product and all that, and who's going to work across the sea, so you need someone to advocate. Yeah, so, so this is the first thing, someone from the executive to understand that cybersecurity is important. Second, you must have somebody in the company that's responsible for cybersecurity. He could uh, um, use external virtual CISO, right. but you must have someone within the, the, the company to understand, to help, to assist, uh, to care about, uh, about cybersecurity. And uh, the third thing, it's, uh, can I add four? Yeah, okay. Okay. You go five. Okay. <laughs> so I think awareness is uh -huh. very critical. So people in the company understand that cybersecurity is important, not to do all these mistakes of phishing and stuff like that. And if I have to pick, uh, so we talked about people with these uh, um, executives, we talk about uh, processes and awareness. And I think if I have to, to take one tool, one tool that could extremely help is multi-factor authentication. Um, and of course, I, um, there are so many others like uh, antivirus and, and the email protection and so many. But what I see if you implement it, uh, uh, the multi-factor authentication right, so many attacks will be avoided. So uh, if you have to pick one. Multi-factor. Yeah. Fantastic. So you talked a lot about people. Um, and a lot of conversations I've been having with other founders, such as yourself, that the Hamas atrocities and the massacres has affected them. Some have lost, had people murdered in the atrocities, yeah. some, some in reserves right now. Um, has it affected Sinomi in any way at all? As you know, I've been many years in the, in the army, in the intelligence, and uh, I felt that I must uh, contribute to this war so I've been about 60 days uh, in the reserves uh, trying to do my best. 
And did they call you or did you say, hey, how can I help? I said, hey, can I help? Were you already released from reserves? No, but uh, in a different, completely different unit. So uh, I went back to intelligence saying, I want to help. And they, in, in uh, two hours, they found me a, a job. So Israeli. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, who do you call? Who do you contact with all the craziness going on? My friends. Your friends. It always comes down to your friends. You had friends that were actively at, in, friends, in the army. Friends that actively to... were in, in reserves in some units that I know, that I knew that I could contribute to. Um, so I call them and say, oh, yeah, we need a commander at night for night shifts. I'll say, oh, okay. You sure. <laughs> In the day, first so, of the day so, night. So, uh, so I moved uh -huh. to, a, to a different place, which I cannot talk about. Uh -huh. And I stay there uh, doing my night shifts, uh -huh. uh, trying to sleep uh, five hours, uh -huh. and then to, to do some Sainomi stuff, and then to the night shift and Sainomi stuff. Wow. So it was really, really hard. Um, together with me, one of uh, uh, our management team was in intelligence, in the intelligence as well. As it was I also told you. culture reserves, yeah? Yeah, also from A200, right. so it's all connected. Um, but since we are very well distributed, um, from the, uh, we have a sales team in the US, uh, we have a development team in the UK, and uh, we have... Uh, um, women managing the, the, the company, the R&D and uh, the product, uh, etc. So uh, for us, it was, uh, I would say it was well managed. Roy, my partner, who lives in the UK, uh, took charge and uh, actually um, managed Sainomi when I uh, was in the army. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so it was okay. Uh, actually, we had the best quarter. From, oh, yeah. from sense perspective. So when are you go when are you going back to reserves? <laughs> so so my uh, my family uh, is telling me, okay, uh, you should you should go somewhere else. Right. And let the company be uh, <laughs> uh, continue without you. Um, joking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I cannot let my baby go. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, how have, has it been hard for your team to adapt? I guess your co-founder just took on more of the CR responsibilities and you redistribute it. Um, did it slow down any of your services that you were doing for clients or anything at all? We saw a lot of support from our customers and uh, partners from the US and UK. So, uh, we didn't see any partners that saying, okay, this is a bad situation, we don't want to continue the, the engagement, etc. We, we got lots of uh, supportive um, messages uh, in all media. Right. WhatsApp, uh, LinkedIn, uh, mails, etc. Um, we got more opportunities from companies that want to help us. Um, uh, but we had less people to do that. So uh, if uh, I, I contribute to sales, uh, the other people from the management, he's doing sales. Mm. So uh, we all had to work harder. Yeah. And you know what I learned? Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I just find it so fascinating. Just like, I always have to like, obviously I think a lot of great things are gonna come out of our response to this war. And one of the amazing things is how we really help each other. But what I'm seeing is what you're saying and a lot of conversations I'm having is that people are learning and adapting to other skills while other people are in reserves. 
people are filling in for other people. People are now exposed to more people within the team, within different departments, are speaking to clients, maybe if they weren't, maybe if they like, and I think the whole ecosystem is gonna be elevated based on what they were exposed to, not just new technology, new people, new departments, new skills. And I think we'll see that feedback into the ecosystem, into Sinomi. Completely, completely. I, I will tell you a story about uh, Jonathan. Jonathan is a SDR mm-hmm. um, that lives in Ashkelon. Uh-huh. And uh, as you know, Ashkelon has a lot of missiles yeah. and it's very difficult to manage calls. And he has to do so many calls every day. Right. So he put uh, Wi-Fi in the shelter uh-huh. and he started to work in the shelter. Right. So he will be able to continue working. So, and for us, it was fully uh, um, understandable if he decided to uh, stop working and be with his family. He has a, uh, he has a baby, but he um, decided to continue contributing to Sainomi more than ever, right. even coming from Ashkelon to Tel Aviv wow. to, be, to be with the people. So, uh, so that's, that's the people we have here in Israel in general and in Sainomi. So I think that, that that's what, what we see uh, during this terrible war, that you are proud of, your, of the citizens here in right. Israel. That's amazing how come together. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's been affected. Yeah. What are your plans for this year coming on? Now that you know you've returned from reserves, um, and mm-hmm. hopefully things are we're trying to find an equilibrium. So what, what are you doing? What are your plans for this year? So it will be a very exciting year for Sainomi. We had an excellent uh, last quarter. We are going to uh, our next round, a round, nice, and we are going to have a significant growth in Sainomi. Awesome. So How much are you going to raise? Oh, I cannot tell you. It's like eight hundred. When you when you expect to raise? Um, I guess it's the end of Q1, starting of Q2. Okay, so it's basically a done deal. Yeah. Got it. Awesome. And so no, what it's, it, not, it's, it's not a done deal. I know, but it's basically, usually when someone says in like another few months, it means it's you're already talking in the talking stage. No, we will start the talking stage ah, in the, okay, got at it. the end of Q1 and starting of Q2. Okay, got it. So you'll, you'll start to look for funding. What's your goal to do with that funding? Because you said you, you want to grow. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's why the excitement uh, uh-huh. is coming. I see you smile. Yeah, yeah. So we want uh, the, uh, the sales team in the U.S. significantly grow. Uh, we want to establish the U.K. sales team as well. Uh-huh. And of course, our R&D um, and product uh, will be at least doubled. How, very nice. What percent of your funding will go to R&D? How much will go to marketing and sales? We are still in calculation of our budget, but uh, it will... Uh, I guess equally goes. Uh-huh. Awesome. Terrific. And within these hiring, I'm just curious, why not any interest in hiring salespeople in Israel? You said the person Ashkelon was terrific. So um, I was wondering why specifically is it that important being those we see, markets? We see the, the difference in hours very significant. Yeah. So uh, in the U.S., we'll probably have the team there. Um, uh, I guess we have some people in Israel, but uh, in Israel... The management will be together with uh, research and cyber expertise, and uh, we have uh, we are working remotely. Uh-huh. Uh, so the development is all over the world. Right. Lots of people in uh, um, UK. We have in Moldova. We have some in India. India. And I think the one of the 
um, benefits or the strength of Synomi is to be able to, uh, to work remotely. So uh -huh. we can pick anyone, right. uh, any place. The question is what are the main benefits of Israelis? So uh, I will pick them and work with them in Israel. Ah, got it. Uh, so I guess the creativity, um, research, understanding in cyber, and things like that. Uh -huh. and, uh, and I guess uh, sales and marketing, there are many people, and if I want to market, the, the, to do some marketing in the UK, I guess people in the UK are better than people in Israel. So, but um, I like good people, and uh, if you know some excellent people that uh, would like to do anything. Um, <laughs> That's how it happens, yeah. and you're seeing it on camera. Because you ask, who do you know? How can you connect me? And, that, and that's how things happen. If you are excellent, come yeah. to say Nomi. There you it's go. It's the best startup in Israel right now. I think if there's a better way to end, I think it's that. Um, thank you so much, David, thank for you. your time. Uh, make sure to give Israel Tech a follower and uh, follow, and we'll put Sainomi and David's uh, contact information, anything to reach and to stay up to date, Sainomi. And thank you for your time. Thank you.